Hey everybody, welcome to the Guard Post, your one-stop shop for everything New York Guardians football. Today it's just me, myself, and I. Hope you guys enjoy what I've got for you today. We're going to go ahead and start with the review of the St. Louis game, and then we're going to get into a new segment I'm kind of creating, which could be a little shorter today, is Ask the Important Questions, where I give you a question and I discuss it really quick and maybe just a quick paragraph about that subject then we go into our true accuracy charting. we got three quarterbacks to chart, so it might be a little bit longer than last week's segment. Then we're going to go into the preview and then some Guardians news, which is mainly just the Derek Dennis signing. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Cue the intro. This is your host, Zachary Garten, and this is The Guard Post. <laughs> All right, so let's just get right into it. The St. Louis game sucked to watch. Just going to be honest. It was not fun. 29-9. to It's never a fun game to watch. We scored three points in the first three quarters. I mean, we scored six total points in seven quarters of play. It's just not good football to watch, and it's not something I want to watch to continuing. We're going to go ahead and start with the negatives first. I know we don't like doing that, but I'd rather get those out of the way so we can get to some of the positives. The first negative, terrible offensive play calling. Once again, I believe in the true accuracy start at charting, at least Marquise Williams, 18 pass, eighteen of his passes were in the shotgun. One of his passes went under center. He had maybe two, well, he had, I think, four play action. I put quotation marks around that. I know it's an audio show. I don't know why I did that. But play action passes, there are more RPO type passes, but I counted that them in there because I don't have RPOs type plays in my system yet and how I chart games. But he had some play action passes in there, did a little bit there, but it was mostly just RPO stuff or alert stuff. And overall, just the offensive play calling, especially in the red zone, was not good. There's the one drive where we had probably about seven plays in the red zone and couldn't put the ball into the into the end zone because of bad play calling. Marquise Williams didn't miss one throw, but, I mean, overall, he couldn't do much. He was getting pressured right away. They didn't use his strengths. I feel like you have a mobile quarterback in the red zone. You should maybe roll that guy out, roll him towards the opposite hash. So he has room to run. If he sees that option, it's just, it was very badly called by GA Mangus. He was calling it like he still had Matt McGloin in the game. So no adjustment there. And hopefully that improves, but I know Mangus is calling the plays again. I know I said there'd be a riot and you may see that in a little bit later segment, that riot. But right now I'm just disappointed in the play calling. Hopefully it gets better. Because right now it's just, once again, lacks diversity. And there's not much else I can say about it that I did not say last week or throughout this week on Twitter. The next thing, we are not good tacklers on Sunday. I mean, there's one quote I love from Bill Belichick. It was a, an interview when Nick Saban was around. He was talking about how sometimes analytics is not everything I mean, he was—he basically said, I got all these guys with computers at, after the end of the game on the flight home, and he's just like, we just couldn't tackle. That's kind of the story of this game. Honestly, really bad angles throughout and really no good tackling. There's so many missed tackles that hurt my heart to watch. So hopefully that gets fixed throughout this week. I believe we'll come out with a new intensity, especially at home, and hopefully we'll just bring it with new energy and tackle a lot better against the Wildcats, but against the Battlehawks, we could not tackle, and our our angles were all off. I know I talked about it in the film study on Wednesday, but if you just watch this game, even on the kickoff return on plenty of the big runs, 
they're like a step away from making the tackle. And if they took a better angle, they would have made the tackle. So really bad tackling and really bad angles. Then we go to the offensive line play, specifically left tackle Jaron Jones and center Ian Silberman. Silberman, I did not expect to struggle. I expected him to be a key piece in this offense and really for something for this offense to build around, but he really just struggled throughout the entire game. Could not keep his composure, ended up getting pulled, and Damian Mama went in and played a lot better, which really surprised me because Damian Mama is not naturally a center. So that was surprising. Jaron Jones really struggled with the same things he's been struggling with it since the first week of the season. Speed rushes on the outside and stunts. For some reason, nobody's taught this guy. And I know he's transitioning, and I know stunts are very hard to handle, but nobody's taught him or his guard how to communicate on stunts. So he know he's never able to like bump a guy over when a stunt happens so they can pass pass the defensive tackle to the tackle, to the offensive tackle, and then the the end pass him to the offensive guard. None of that happens. They just try to follow their man and it causes a lot of confusion and creates quick sacks for the defense. So really just Jaron Jones does not understand how to block a stunt. Neither does his offensive guard. So it's not just him, but I just noticed he struggles with speed rushers and he tends to struggle blocking stunts. So hopefully he fixes that. A lot of times he ends up just standing there while a guy gets to the quarterback, especially on stunts. Cause he's like, Oh, my guy's gone. What am I supposed to do? So hopefully that gets fixed. And I expect it'll be something they talk about on film. Um, the last negative thing, I mean, we just couldn't keep any sense of composure throughout the game. So many personal fouls, so many penalties, it's just from false starts to Ian Silverman legit punching anybody and everybody in sight. I don't. It was just was not pretty to watch. You could just tell the frustration in this team. So hopefully that changes. Last one of the other things, special teams play was terrible. I mean, on the kickoff return, the big one for a touchdown. Nobody stayed in their lanes. Once the ball was pushed to the right, everybody converged. Rather than staying in their lanes and staying gap disciplined, you see that problem on defense too when they're defending the run, but they don't stay gap disciplined, and that creates just this wide hole on the left side for guys to really make a big play in. And then we had to pump blocked as well. That looked like just a miscommunication between blockers. This looks like Justin Vogel maybe took a little bit long on that punt, I don't know. I'm not a punting expert, but it looked like he maybe he took an extra step or took an extra second when handling the ball. And overall, just this team did not look good, did not look composed, did not look ready for a really big game in St. Louis. I don't know if that goes down to coaching or just personnel and the players not wanting to be ready, but they just were not ready. So now that we talked about a lot of the negatives, we'll try to get into some of the positives here. These are more kind of me trying to find positives. So... We had a good running game, which is really good. Tim Cook um, ran really well. Darius Victor ran really well. We got Justin Stockton the ball a lot more. His usage went up, which is something I really enjoy because he needs the ball. Every time he got the ball, usually doing something explosive with it. He had one kind of surprise drop near the end of the game when Marquise Williams flipped the ball to him and tried to make a play, and he just hit his hands and kind of popped out, but I don't think he was expecting the ball there. So I don't know. Um Rantha Tejada played really well as well. He um, made a lot of plays in the screen game. He even had a pass deflected and in his first start of the season. That's really good. I'm really excited to see him play more. He's a guy that I love to watch when he plays football because he's really technically sound and he's really just he's fast, quick, athletic. So he's a fun guy to watch. Um, another good thing, run defense improved as the game went along. Our tackling didn't really, but our run defense did. 
So they rushed for 72 of their 156 yards on the first drive. So I believe that's around. My math is completely off here, but 84 yards. That's probably, yeah, no, that's right. 84 yards total after the 72 yard first drive where they ran for every yard. So that's not bad. That'd be like, if we subtract that first, that'd be like barely a hundred yards rushing total for the game. You want to usually have less, but it was not bad at all for a first performance. Um, not a first performance, but for a performance where you're rebounding and you've never not been a very good run defense team overall. So not bad at all. Um, we had some positive play from the quarterback position. Luis Perez had that late drive touchdown. I'm not high on him. I've been pretty vocal about that. I don't think he's that great of a quarterback. But Marquise Williams also had a pretty good day. I'll talk about that when we get to our charting. But he was really making things happen outside the pocket and really made some good throws. He wasn't asked to do a whole lot. Neither was Luis Perez. But... They both made throws when they needed to, even if they were easy ones. So I was pretty happy with their performances. I think we just had terrible play calling that just totally hamstrung their ability to run an offense. And then last thing that I'm really happy about, the pass rush took a step forward. They looked faster out there, especially Bumney Rotimi. He looked like he had an extra step. And they were all just making moves, getting to the Jordan Tayamu and almost making plays. He's a very athletic guy, so he's not always able to it's not always easy to take him down, but they were able to get to him, force him to run away from where his receivers were and make him throw the ball away. So they did a really good job overall rushing the passer. And I was really happy with that considering it was one of my biggest knocks on the defense over the past two weeks. So hopefully we can continue to see that take steps forward as it continues to grow and continues to develop as a part of their game. So now we're going to go ahead and get to the offensive defensive MVPs really quick. First one I'm going to talk about is the offensive MVP is going to be Austin Duke. He actually played really well throughout the day and looks to be a favorite target for Marquise Williams. For all you DFS guys out there, if Marquise Williams ends up starting, throw Austin Duke in your lineup. Trust me, he's going to be a bargain dude for you, and he's going to get a lot of targets. Now, whether he turns those into production really depends on Marquise Williams and this play calling, but he has the ability to do that, so... That's something to look for, DFS fans. A little DFS tidbit for you. I know um, Rod Via Gomez really enjoy that. So, but Austin Duke, really the only touchdown of the day, as I said before, did a really good job making plays in the screen game. I believe he had one good catch downfield. Could have had another touchdown from Marquise Williams, but it was not the best throw from Marquise. So, hopefully, we'll see that connection develop and we'll get, see a couple deep shots in this next game because. Austin Duke has the ability to do that. Next, we're going to go into our defensive MVP, and that's going to be Ranthi Tejada. He played a fantastic game. At times, he looked like the best defender out there. Uh, Jamar Summers kind of struggled a little bit early in the game. Um, Drayvon Askew Henry actually played pretty well, but they seemed to avoid him. And Ranthi Tejada just did a good job in the slot, sniffing out screens, being aggressive in the run and pass game when he was trying to get after um, Jordan Tayamu. So... Really happy with Ranzi Tejada's game, especially since it was first game starting. I mean, the dude even had a sack. So, once again, really happy with them. My offensive and defensive VPs, Austin Duke and Ranzi Tejada. Uh, my special teams MVP, our kicker. So, I mean, there's not really else, much else to say there. Um, Matthew Matt McCrane made that really long kick early in the game. So, happy he was there. But otherwise, I mean, there's no our special teams was not good this game. That's going to be the end of our review. Overall, it was just disappointing to watch. I really hope we grow from it. Play calling needs to be fixed. 
tackling needs to be fixed, but there's something to build on with this running game and the pass rush taking a step forward. Our defense was good. I know a lot of people don't say that because it was 29 to 9, but in reality, we gave up six points from a from a kickoff return for a touchdown, and then we gave up six points after a punt block that left them within the 15-yard line, and they could just run the ball 15 yards for a touchdown. So uh, overall, we did not give up that many points. We only gave up, math, 17 points total if we take away those 12 points from caused from turnovers. So overall, I think the defense did pretty well. If you're giving up only 17 points a game, roughly, your team should be scoring more than 17 to win games. But recently, we just have not been able to. So that really comes down to play calling because usually you're like, oh, a bad performance in one game, they'll bounce back this game if the play calling is still good. But play calling is kind of the root of all the symptoms of how bad our offense looks. So hopefully that gets fixed. Hopefully Kevin Gilbride has more of an influence on this offense than he did before. I just want an identity, and I also want the play calling to not be 100% predictable like it can tend to be. So we we'll us see how that goes forward. It's going to be an interesting game against the Wildcats. We've got a couple of little things to get to first before we go into the review. But next is the new segment, segment Ask the Important Questions. Enjoy the break. We'll be right back. guys now that we're back from break i'm gonna go ahead and get to a new segment i'm adding i may do this bi-weekly or i may do it when i feel like there's important questions to ask ask the important questions first thing we're going to cover in this important question who is the qb moving forward so right now as of recently there's been talk about matt mcgloin being limited and if he is healthy for saturday's game with a thorax injury which is just like a, a stomach or a rib injury if he's healthy, he'll be the starter. But if he's not healthy, which is what I'm guessing, I don't want to trot out a 75% Matt McGloin, especially when the 100% Matt McGloin has not been playing all too great. I'd like Marquise Williams, and that's who I think will start because he has more time with the team, more time understanding the playbook. And I think he brings more from a pocket presence and the ability to move around in the pocket perspective. My biggest knock on Luis Perez is the fact that he just does not understand pocket presence. Like, yeah, you can watch YouTube and learn how to play quarterback, but a lot of what not you're not going to learn a lot about pocket presence. That comes with reps, with understanding of where to move when the pocket breaks down, or even when the pocket is just perfectly fine and you don't have to leave it right away. So, when you talk about who the QB is moving forward, I personally believe it's Marquise Williams. We could see that change. I could be completely wrong. If Marquise Williams plays like crap, then I'll take the I'll take. My hits for it, I understand I'm kind of pushing for Marquise Williams. I think he's a better option than Luis Perez. And right now, he may be a better option than Matt McGoin behind our not-so-great offensive line. So right now, who's the QB moving forward? I believe it's Marquise Williams. That's who I want it to be. Maybe it's a little bit my UNC bias, but at least for this next week, Marquise Williams is my QB moving forward, and you have to stick with him through the whole game because it shows confidence in your quarterback and his ability to possibly make plays. I mean, Marquise Williams drove the ball well against the St. Louis Battlehawks. I mean, he had two drives that ended up in the red zone. It's just when we got down there, play calling was bad, and the whole team did not execute. So hopefully they stick with him this game. I think he brings a lot of promise when it comes from just surviving in a very cluttered pocket and the ability to make some throws that maybe some of the other quarterbacks cannot. So the next question also applies to the offense. 
where does this offensive play calling go? All I have to say is hopefully away from GA Mangus. <laughs> That's really all I got to say about this. I mean, when you look at just the red zone play calling from that game, it was absolutely horrendous. We did not have any identity. We continually went out of the shotgun, did not run the football in the red zone, did not run any play action in the red zone, did not move Williams, who right now is best probably trait as his at least movement ability compared to the other two quarterbacks we have. We did not put him out on the edge where he can decide to run or pass. We limited his options, and it just was not great play calling from G.A. Mangus. And throughout the whole game, you kind of saw that. Once again, I'll get this into this with my true accuracy segment. A majority of our passes were out of the shotgun, while a majority of our runs were out of the were out of under center. And it just creates this too much of a split, and it becomes too obvious. You're never going to pass out of center, so whenever you're under center, you're going to run the football, and the other team knows that, and they can just stack the box. When you're in shotgun, you're only going to pass the football. So I'd rather see either be all the time in shotgun or split it more evenly between under center and shotgun. It just This lack of balance doesn't make sense from a play-calling standpoint. And hopefully, I know G.A. Mangus is going to call plays this next week, and I don't expect him to re- relinquish this, this role very soon because I've heard Kevin Gilbride's comments on the matter. He believes in his coaching staff. But if we score less than 10 points again, there's going to be questions, and there should be questions from the media about what J.A. Mangus is doing in an OC position. So, But when we just talk about play calling as a whole and what Mangus needs to do to change this, we just need to create an identity, create an understanding with this whole team of what we're trying to do offensively because I feel like that's lacking as well. Just understanding of what we're trying to do offensively and what the goal is moving forward when we're trying to make these plays. Hopefully we see more play actions, allow Williams to work in the work outside of the pocket, make him roll out a little bit, maybe just something to get him moving where he's more comfortable and just getting him and get Justin stocked in the ball in space, please. I mean, we saw it against the battle Hawks. He's a dynamite in space. If we get him out on screens or something, get him the ball with a little room, he'll make people miss. He'll get big yards. He'll shoot gaps and he'll make really good plays. So hopefully we involve Justin Stockton even more. He's, a, he's dynamite. He's fun to watch, so hopefully we get him the ball more, and that's something we should definitely try to do with this play calling. The next question, can this team lose the game against L.A.? No. that's It's really quick and no. From a fan standpoint, you cannot go 1-3 and three in New York. You can't come home and lose, especially big, to an L.A. team that's 1-2. and two. Um, I know L.A. is coming off a big win, but us losing this game would be kind of a nail in the coffin for our season, especially if we lose like we have the last two weeks. But, and we need to score as many points as possible. Honestly, we need to score 40 plus points for me to have any hope in this offense. And even then I will be very skeptical because I believe it's lightning in a bottle. Um, so hopefully we win this game. We need to win this game. I'm a little skeptical. I still don't believe in this offense or the play calling. The defense is good enough though to make something happen. And we'll see if that does happen. The last question for this segment, it's a little bit shorter segment just to be clear, but the last question for this segment is MetLife going to look empty. I'm not going to be there. As you guys probably know, I live on the West Coast, so I'm not able to be there. But from everything I've heard, it's a very likely possibility that MetLife is going to look very empty, and we're going to hear a lot of crap talked about Guardians fans. But when you look at the past two performances by the team, I totally understand why it's empty. Not a lot of people want to go to a game where the team's like your home team's likely to score 10 points. Like I don't want to go see that product. So I totally understand why MetLife is most likely going to be empty. And we don't have the type of diehard fan base right now because it's the first year of this team. 
to warrant people coming to the game, even though we're scoring 10 points a game. If not, maybe a tiny bit more. I believe it's 32 points over three games. So about 11 points a game. So until that gets fixed, it's a distinct possibility that we're going to have a very poor performance. So the Guardians need to win to boost this performance up for the next home game. And hopefully we see that happen. So that's the new segment. You guys can send me questions about this and what needs to happen if you want to just throw the ask TGP or just at me under. It's probably easier if you at me. But um, if you at me on Twitter or email me these questions, I can throw them in this segment. The ask the important question segment. It's going to be short like this most of the time. So we're going to go ahead and head into break, and then we're going to get into our true accuracy segment where we cover all three quarterbacks' performances. Now on to our true accuracy segment. This was not a fun game to chart. It actually wasn't as bad as the week prior, but it was just rough charting so many quarterbacks. It always is because I have to switch a whole bunch of stuff around all the time and make sure everything's colored correctly. And now that I'm talking about it, it's not that difficult because I just chart the same thing. But anyways, we're going to go have to go through this. I'm going to go through each performance and what they kind of, what I kind of thought of them and how I believe they performed. And then I'm going to go into three good, three good stats from the entire charting and three bad stats from the entire charting and then my overall feel. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Matt McGloin's the first one I'm going to talk about because he played first. I mean, overall, he didn't play bad. He was not amazing throughout the game. He was 80% on his true accuracy on 10 attempts. He must have missed some really big gains like I highlighted in my Wednesday film videos. But overall, he missed some big gains, had one interception, his only turnover play of the game. But overall, he did not play terribly. I enjoyed seeing that he showed a little bit of composure, especially on that two-minute um, two drive before half. He ended up throwing that interception. But those first two in routes were really good throws by him. Really nice to see him completing balls a little bit deeper. And I think if he had stayed healthy, he probably would have played the entire game. But he didn't play terribly. So I'm not totally disappointed in his game. But just at points, he just looked a little dejected little uninspired, I guess. And this is just me nitpicking here. At times he looked calm. At other times he looked uninspired. Those can look kind of the same at times. So overall, though, I kind of expect him to end up being the starter once he's healthy. But he just didn't play bad, didn't play great. There wasn't a whole lot considering there was only 10 attempts. Marquise Williams, though, actually did play pretty good in my eyes. He moved the ball well throughout the offense. He was accurate on 71.4% of his throws on 14 attempts. So that's pretty good. It was not an elite day by him, but he did have one turnover-worthy play, turnover play and one touchdown-worthy play. So his one turnover-worthy play was a fumbled snap, which does count towards it. So we saw that, that he kind of struggled in the red zone, but he did almost throw a touchdown Those end, ended up incomplete because it was either dropped or broken up by Colby, Colby Pearson. But he did manage the pocket better than anybody. He was pr most pressured out of any of the quarterbacks. But he also was the most hit. He got hit five times, but he was only took two sacks. So he was able to avoid pressure, made people miss, had a couple of really good scramble plays. So hopefully we can see him start and see more of that. I would love to see a full game and chart one full game of his. Hopefully this next week against L.A., who had a really good week last week, 
But overall, I feel like he did play pretty well. There were some positives there. He didn't throw a single deep pass, which is a little worrying. I've always a little bit worried about his deep accuracy. But hopefully we see him get a chance to do that. I'd love to chart that. I'd love to chart his game because he's kind of a fun watch at times because he's really elusive in the pocket, and he's able to manage that a little bit better than any of the quarterbacks, any of the other quarterbacks did on Sunday. The next one we're going to go into is Luis Perez. Overall, he had a really easy game. He was not asked to do much at all. Most of his passes were checkdowns or short completions. He had the only deep pass of the game, which was from like the, it was from the 15 yard line. And overall, he was accurate on 100% of his passes. Even that deep one is a little bit out of bounds. It's a tough throw to make, but it was accurate. It hit the hands. It could have been a catch. So I counted as accurate. He threw the only deep pass of the day, but overall he wasn't asked to do much. He had his one touchdown worthy play on a screen to Austin Duke. So overall, I just, his overall performance, I'm just lukewarm on. He did take two sacks. One of them was with no pressure. So when I talk about that, I talk about this in my videos, breakdowns as well. But his performance from that game, he had one play where he simply walked into the guy. He ran into his offensive lineman. He had a completely clean pocket, ran into his offensive lineman, ended up taking a sack that he should not have taken. He could have just slid to the left and extended the play. And I know the game was almost over, but um, I just noticed that he really struggled with that facet of his game. So hopefully we can see that develop a little bit better there. And if he does play, the one thing I need to see from him is better pocket presence because that's going to be the hardest thing for him to learn as a QB. And he did make some decent throws, but he was never asked to do much. And I really want to see a quarterback that's able to do a little bit more, even what during his time with Birmingham back in the AAF, I noticed that he did struggle with pocket presence. So hopefully Marquise Williams starts, but Louis Perez would be a decent option, I guess. I'm just not as high on him as others are. I know a lot of people are calling for him to start because he had the only touchdown of the day, but a lot of people forget that Marquise Williams led the team on two red zone drives. So we'll have to just wait, see what happens. Oops. We'll just have to wait, see what happens with that. Next, we're going to go ahead and get into the three good stats from my charting. The first one, total accuracy from all three quarterbacks was above 70%. Matt McGloin at 80%. Marquise Williams at 71.4%. And Luis Perez at 100%. They were playing conservative, but they were accurate on a good part portion of their throws. The offensive line, they gave up only 10 total pressures, which is not bad at all, but considering there was only math here... 40-ish pass attempts, passing plays, pardon me, passing plays. Um, so it's not bad at all. It's only 10. So it's nice to see our offensive line playing a little bit better. Marquise Williams was hit five times. So when they were getting a pass rush, they were let, getting home and hitting our quarterbacks, which is not good. But there was only there was five total play action plays, which is nice to see more than zero from last week. But hopefully that continues to develop and we get more play action because I feel like it should be a vital part of anybody's game in today's football landscape. So it was nice to see some of them, but I would like to see it some more. The three bad stats for my charting, we're going to start with two turnover-worthy plays. One was the interception from Matt McGloin, and the other was the fumbled snap. You want zero. It's going to be on my bad stats from the game, every game that there's more than one. Hopefully we end up seeing zero, and I think part of that's going to be fixed with continuity at the position. So we'll just wait and see at that. The next one is only one deep pass from the entire game, which was from Luis Perez, and that was only about a 20-yard throw. There was nothing over 25 yards thrown throughout this entire game. 
Um, so hopefully we see some more deep passing us be a little more aggressive in this next game. I know we really couldn't get not get anything going against St. Louis, but the lack of aggression really kind of hamstrings some quarterbacks. And I think this is what happened maybe with Marquise Williams. So hopefully we get a little more aggressive. We're willing to take a couple more shots. I think we have the talent at wide receiver and running back to do it. I'm just worried that maybe quarterback wise we can't. And that's why Mangus is not calling those plays. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. I think one deep pass is not good, though. You need to be able to vary it up. You can't just be throwing screens and check downs and slants all game because you will not be successful. Teams will just start pressing up and won't allow that to happen. So you have to challenge them vertically to kind of change it up and make them not just press and not allow short passes. And with only one deep pass, you're never challenging them vertically. So hopefully we see that change. And the last bad stat, once again... We had 36 passing plays from the shotgun and only three from under center. That's terrible. You cannot continually do that. (laughs) Sorry, excuse me. You cannot continually do that and be successful at this level because teams will start figuring out, oh, when they're under center, they are only running the football. With only three pass plays there, if you just run the football from under center, they'll know and they'll stack the box every time. You're not building to anything. You're not messing with them they're not changing it up so either i think we should go completely from the shotgun and run from the shotgun pass from the shotgun it can be done or we balance it more but we cannot do more of this hey we're going to pass it when we're out in shotgun but we're going to throw it we're, we're going to not throw it we're going to pass it when we're in shotgun but we're going to run it under center it doesn't make sense from a professional play calling perspective that's something you do in middle school football maybe it just doesn't make sense that when I watch film, if I'm watching the Guardians, I'm like, oh, when they're under center, they're probably going to run the ball. So let's line up and defend the run. And when they're in shotgun, they're probably going to pass the ball. So let's defend the pass. I'll give up one or two big pat run plays if we can defend the pass when they're in the shotgun. So it doesn't make sense. It's my biggest complaint with this play calling from GA Mangus. It's a really simple thing that he can fix that he's not fixed at all. So I'll have to look back at my charting from week one. I don't remember noticing that during week one. It probably did happen, though. This is not something that just happens automatically from week two and week three. So if we continue to see this, I will continue to claim plan about it. And it's probably going to keep happening. So I'm a little bit worried about that. So now we're going to go ahead and get into my overall feel from the charting. And overall, I think this was not a great performance, but it wasn't bad from the quarterbacks. I think they were really hamstrung, like I've said multiple times, by the play calling. It's going to be a really common theme in these next couple episodes if it continues to be a problem. But the play calling really hamstrings these quarterbacks. They're not able to show their talent, show what they can do because they're stuck throwing screens and slants most of the game. Not even slants, just screens most of the game. And then they're putting bad situations on third and longs or they're on a third and two and they're passing, throwing up four verts or they're in the shotgun and they're always throwing, or in their under center and they know they're just handing the ball off. So the defense already starts with an advantage against the quarterback, so the quarterback's not put in a good position. So really this play calling is really, really hamstringing there. I think the biggest issue from offensively from this game was the play calling. It really limited them. So that's really going to be it for my true accuracy segment. Not great, not bad. So hopefully we see the quarterback performance take a tick up. This game, I fully expect that to happen. I really like the talent we have offensively. I've said that multiple times, but play calling is an issue, and hopefully that gets fixed. 
So we'll be right back from break and get into our game preview for the game against the LA Wildcats in MetLife Stadium in New York. Welcome back from break, guys. Now we're on to our game preview where I'm going to talk about the offenses and defensives, do's and don'ts for the game, and then also go into who's the most important player on both sides of the ball and who's on the coach's hot seat before I predict who's going to win. So we're going to go ahead and start offensively because that's the part of the game that needs the most improvement for the Guardians. So we're going to start with offensive musts. The first thing we have to do is utilize the running backs and the quick game to make the quarterback, whoever's playing, I think it's going to be Williams, so that's the name I'm going to use throughout this, to make Williams comfortable. So that's through screens, draws, run game, keep the pressure often, get the ball to Stockton on screens and out of the backfield on pitches, or get him into open space because he's talented with the football in his hands. He's going to he's gonna have a chance to take one of these kick returns back for a touchdown, I believe, soon. He shows a lot of explosiveness in his movement, likes to make people miss, so he's a guy I'm excited to see moving forward. He, once again, he's a very talented back, so hopefully we get him the ball often and early in the run game and in the passing game, but we just need to make Marquise Williams comfortable so that he can take shots later in the game. The next thing we need to do is protect the quarterback. Williams was hit five times last game. Yeah, we only gave up 10 total pressures, but he was still hit five times, so when they're giving up pressure, the, the guys are getting home. So... We really need to protect him and protect whoever's a quarterback, even Perez, especially Perez, because he can't handle pressure as well as Williams can. We need to make sure we give Jaron Jones help. He struggled the past two weeks, especially against speed rushers. I know Wildcats are, tend to be a bigger, more powerful team. It's a little bit better for what our offensive line is good at, is dealing with power and strength. But any speed rushers that go against Jaron Jones have a field day. So we need to make sure that we give him help from tight ends, chip blocks on those speed rushers at end and then we also need to make sure he knows how to handle stunts it's getting a little bit frustrating to watch he's a very physically talented guy he's still transitioning to tackle but he needs to learn how to handle stunts i don't know what we do whether it's from a film perspective or from a coaching perspective on the field but we need to give him a crash course in handling stunts i think getting some continuity on the offensive side of the ball, offensive line-wise, will definitely help. And I think starting Damian Mama is the first thing there. Um, that's the next thing I was going to get into, actually, is starting Damian Mama at center because Ian Silberman was the wrong move. He cannot keep his composure. So I'd fully expect Damian Mama to start with Ian Silberman being relegated to the bench. Um, hopefully we can get Garrett Brumfield back. I like Garrett Brumfield. He was very – he's – kind of important especially on that left side of give, making jaron jones more comfortable and i think if they can communicate we might see jaron jones work better in the let me think here in the stunt game and handling stunts so we need to protect the quarterback which is a very obvious one and then the one i've been hammering on for all week really is we need to advise, diversify the play calling make it more intriguing get a little bit more motion in there get a little misdirection something to Get it going. And then we know Magus is calling plays again. It's a little frustrating. But hopefully he gets better at it. Hopefully he gets a little more direction from Gilbride and how to diversify it. Use Williams' movement to your advantage. 
let him move around, let get him out of the pocket, move the pocket, which is like a little sprint play, allow him to get comfortable moving around because that's what he does very well. So that's something you have to do, whether it's boots, sprint plays, um, even design QB runs here and there, just something to get him moving, get him comfortable. And then if we're going to use shotgun most of the time, just run out of it. Just run the football out of it. You don't need to primarily pass out of the shotgun. You can run and pass equally effectively if you just pass and run out of the shotgun. It works. It's worked before. Spreading out the defense is smart. So let's just do that. And heck, if you want to use two tight ends, you can use tight ends in the shotgun. So it's not something you have to move under center for. It's a very antiquated and old frame of mind that you have to be under center to use two tight ends. You can use two tight ends while in the shotgun. So hopefully we see that change. Hopefully we see them become more diverse while creating an identity. I know it doesn't make sense when you say it like that, but it's something that you can do. And then also, I just like to see a trick play. Obviously, I think if we'd use the trick play at the right time in that game against St. Louis, we could have really turned this around. I know there's not a lot of continuity at quarterback, but if we fall behind early, a trick play could get us some momentum and allow us to get moving on offense because I've seen that happen a lot in games where a trick play gets the offense feeling a little more confident they're able to execute a little better, and they're able to make plays. So a trick play put at the right spot could really help this team, whether it's a double pass or really anything that just gets things opened up for this team. So really just a trick play at the right time and then just making sure we're more consistent and more diverse in our play calling. I don't, I know those are contradictory, but it makes sense in my head of what I'm saying because we just have to be able to create an identity and work and be diverse inside that identity. So... Hopefully we figure that out. I'm not sure we will. I'm not confident in Mangus as a play caller. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. But that's something we have to do is diversify the play calling while staying within the net entity. Now things we cannot do on offense. I said this looking back, maybe I shouldn't have written this down, but I'm going to say it anyways because I do still believe it. I know this is going to cause some controversy amongst the people that listen to this podcast. Do not start Luis Perez. I will say this adamantly and adamantly and adamantly. If you want to win this game, don't start Luis Perez. If you want to be in it and be competitive, sure, go ahead. But if you want to win this game, you do not start Luis Perez because he does not have the ceiling you need to win this football game. He has a high floor, which is good. He'll dink and dunk down the field and get you close, and then your run game maybe can take over. But when you look at it from a skill point-wise and what Luis Perez can do, he's not going to win you a football game. Very rarely does he win you a football game. So... If we want to win a football game, we have to start Williams. He brings a lot more to the table from a skill perspective, whether it's handling pass rusher, making plays with his legs, or a whole bunch of other things. So I think that Luis Perez is definitely the more talented pick here, and I think that's the guy that needs to – not Luis Perez. Sorry, I mixed up my quarterbacks. Marquise Williams is definitely the more talented pick here, and Luis Perez should be the backup for this game. I just – I don't understand the hype around Luis Perez. This happened last year in the AAF, and then he just let everybody down. He had one three-touchdown game and then threw three more touchdowns the entire season. So in reality, we should start Marquise Williams and then just don't switch quarterbacks. It'll not allow anybody to get in the groove. Nobody will get in the rhythm. No momentum will be gained by consistently switching quarterbacks. So, and then also just another thing, Perez will be a sitting duck back there behind that offensive line. The offensive line has not been playing super great over the last two weeks. They've not been playing terrible. They've not been good. So 
I fully expect us to start Marquise Williams. I want us to start Marquise Williams, and I don't think we should switch through QBs throughout the game. Let Marquise Williams do what he does and get in a rhythm. The next thing we cannot do as an offense is false start. We lost so many drives because we'd be in a third and two, and then we'd false start and it'd be a much harder third and seven. So we cannot do that as a team. I don't know whether it was consistently switching quarterbacks that caused the discontinuity there, but we cannot allow false starts to kill drives because it just kills momentum. So we need to make sure we that. Being home should help. We should have a much quieter crowd than St. Louis. I know it's sad, but it's true. And I fully expect it to be able to work a little bit better in that environment. We should have better continuity along the offensive line as well. So there should not be as many false starts and no personal fouls as well. But I feel like that should go unsaid. I mean, you should know that you should not get personal fouls because that just kills drives. And the last thing we cannot do is we cannot play conservatively the entire game. If we get any sort of lead, we need to pad that lead consistently. If you look at how seeding is arranged in the XFL, it's by touchdown differential. So we need to continually, continually score points. I don't care if we're up 60-3. to We need to score more points to try to get back on track with this touchdown differential because that could be the difference between us making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. So lay on the gas the entire game. You can start a little bit conservatively on those first two drives to get a quarterback in rhythm, but you need to be willing to take chances, not play conservative, take chances, take shots down the field, and go for it on fourth down at times. I mean, come on. We just got to take shots. And when I say that, I'm not saying go four verts on a third and two, which is the worst decision you could ever do, because I know first downs, not touchdowns, is a thing I've been preaching, and that still applies. It's just when you have a second and two, don't be afraid to open it up and throw a four verts. Don't be afraid to have a trick play on second and two that could go a little wrong. I mean, take chances, take shots, but don't play conservatively. Now we're going to go to the defensive side of the ball, and now we're going to start with our defensive musts. We have to stop the run, maintain gap integrity. There will be some misdirection from the from the Wildcats. I totally expect to see that with a mobile quarterback in Josh Johnson and a fast guy in Larry Rose and Martez Carter. So those are those two things. And those two guys are both very adept at making people miss. So we need to make sure we do not miss tackles. The defensive backs have to get involved in run defense. Rancy Tejada did a pretty good job of it last week, especially in the screen game. But we need Jamar Summers and Drayvon Ashley Henry to step up in that aspect and really get involved defensively in the run game. So we have to stop the run. We have to maintain gap integrity, and we cannot miss tackles. The next thing we have to do is play well in man-to-man. Josh Johnson, really quick, is a very experienced quarterback who's good at reading zones. With all that experience, he understands where the holes are going to be and how to exploit them. So we have to be able to play good in man-to-man because that will allow us to pressure him, make him uncomfortable, and it lets our DBs do what they do best. I mean, the LA wide receivers are fast. Trey McBride, Kermit Whitfield, and a couple other guys. But other than Nelson Spruce, they are not the best route runners in the league. So we need to let our DBs play man-to-man, make plays, and just really beat these guys up. Get aggressive at the line of scrimmage. I know Jamar Summers is really good at that. I have not seen much of Drayvon Askew Henry's um press tape he usually played safety back in college so when I saw him at corner I was a little bit surprised but I know Ranthony Tejada is very good at that as well staying firm and disciplined in man coverage so we need these guys to take advantage of being a man and do what they do best which is man coverage so we have to play well in man to man that last thing we have to do is we have to force turnovers we did not force 
any turnovers these past two weeks. Actually, one turnover against DC through a late pick, but we have not been forcing turnover. We have not been forcing turnovers since that first game of the season. Sorry, I couldn't talk there for a second, but. We have not been forcing turnovers, like I said, and we need to make it easier on our offense who is struggling. If we give them good field position, shorter fields, they'll be able to thrive a little bit better. So we need to force turnovers as a team. It's got to be priority number one going into this game is forcing turnovers on Josh Johnson and that L.A. offense. Defensive don'ts. Something you cannot do in this game is give running backs free releases on routes. They really liked using Martez Carter, especially out of the backfield on screens. He got a lot of big plays there. So you have to make sure you get hands on him, get a linebacker on him, and really affect their ability to run routes. If they go and pretend to block, (laughs) excuse me, if you go and pretend to block in the backfield as a running back, we need our linebackers to basically grab onto you and manhandle that running back before he can go into any type of route. We need to make sure we recognize screens quickly and efficiently and really take those running backs out of the game. I mean, Larry Rose is fast. Martez Carter is dangerous. And those running backs combined for four touchdowns this past Sunday. So we need to make sure we get a handle on them and take them out of this game. But while I said we need to focus on these running backs, we cannot be too committed to run. Biting on the play action has hurt Guardians in these past games. I mean, we saw it against DC especially. They got a lot of gains over the middle because we bit on play action way too hard. So we need our linebackers to be a little bit more patient. They are fast. They can make the plays. They don't need to overcommit to the run if they think there might be a play action. And then just don't make it too easy on Josh Johnson. If it gets easy for him, he'll go off like he did on on Sunday against the D.C. defenders. So we need to make sure we take advantage of any missed opportunities that Johnson, Johnson has. Any mistakes he makes, we have to take advantage of. We cannot make it easy on him. And then we just cannot be afraid to blitz. We can blitz more in man than we can in zone, which is good because we need to make Josh Johnson uncomfortable. We have to get him off his spot in the pocket. He's a really good pocket passer. I know he can move around, but he's really good. He had one throw I remember. There was two guys in his face, but he was still on his spot, and he just let it go over the middle to a great pass, and he made a great catch for a big gain. So we just need to make sure Josh Johnson is uncomfortable throughout this entire game, and that will allow us to take advantage of any mistakes he makes if he has to make quick decisions. And we have to hit him early and often. I'm not one for illegal hits. Make it all in the framework of the game. But if we get pressure on him and hit him, it'll make him uncomfortable, force him off his spot, make him make mistakes, get rid of the ball faster than he thinks he has to because there's no actual pressure. So if we just speed up his internal clock, he'll have to be make mistakes, make bad throws, or just get rid of the football. So blitzing, being committed to man, and really giving these running backs trouble, it should be the game plan moving forward for the Guardians defensively, I think that's where they go and what they look to do against this L.A. Wildcats defense, who had an offensive explosion. They had a lot of short fields because they had the five interceptions, but an offensive explosion against the D.C. defenders this past weekend. So the most important defensive player is going to be Dewan Hines, probably. I really kind of threw this up and down a couple of different places. It could have been Bumney Rotimney trying to get pressure or Ryan Moyer, or it could have been... Um, Ranty Tejada covering the slot and possibly Nelson Spruce if he's healthy or anybody really. It would have been a really tough game for those guys, but I chose DeWan Hines because he has to cover running backs often, and it's going to be a tough ask for him to cover these very dynamic and explosive guys, and he's going to have to play tough and play consistently at a high level to really be a factor in this game, 
and to affect the game and take these running backs out of it. So he's my most important defensive player this week. Most important offensive player is if he starts, I think he's going to start is Jaron Jones. He's a guy I fully expect to be the most important offensive player. He has to be better against stunts. He cannot be a liability on this line. He has not played well these past two weeks. So he needs to play better this week to make either Marquise Williams or Luis Perez a lot more comfortable. Now to the last bit of this, the coach's hot seat. Who's on it again? Mangus. J.A. Mangus is on it again. He's probably going to be a popular pick here until he starts scoring points consistently. Nine points last week, three points the week before, 17 points the week before that. He has not been a leader of very prolific offenses these past three weeks, and we need him to score and put up more points as an offense. Whether that's through short fields or whether that's through anything we really give him, we need to make sure that he's able to put an offense on the field that score points. So he's my hot seat again. Now, who's going to win this game? Sadly, I do think LA wins this game. I just don't see enough out of our offense to really make a change. We're going through a lot through injuries, and it's not an excuse for how we played, by the way, but through injuries and a lack of continuity that's really going to cause us to struggle, and I just don't trust our offense. To be honest, so I think LA wins. I think it's probably about a 10-point deficit. I don't think we lose by 20 this time, but I don't expect us to play very well today. I expect it to probably be about a 20-10 to 10 game, 25-10, to 10, somewhere in there. Just another lopsided victory for our opponent. But hopefully we can drive the ball better than I think we're going to. And we'll just have to wait and see. So we're going to go ahead and go to break real quick. And then I'm going to get into some Guardians news that's recently happened. And then I'm going to get into the outro and thank some people for listening and all that stuff. So, hey, thank you guys. We're going to go to break for just a second. to our last section of the episode where we're going to talk about Guardians news. The most important news from this week is the signing of Derek Dennis, an offensive lineman out of Temple. He went to University of Temple, played there for a couple of years, graduated in 2011, was went to the Combine, well, went to the Pro Day, not the Combine, wasn't the fastest, had a 1.94 10-yard split, played for a bunch of NFL teams in preseason and on their practice squad, it was the Miami Dolphins, Patriots, Bears, Panthers. And then went to the CFL, played for the Calgary Stampeders and Saskatchewan Rough Riders. With the Calgary Stampeders, he was an offensive lineman of the year one year and a three-time West All-Star. So he's a really storied career in the CFL. Recently signed with the Guardians. He's an offensive lineman. He's played center, guard, and tackle. I expect him to probably slot in at tackle. He's 6'3", 300-something pounds, and he's... About he's 31 years old, so he brings a lot of experience to the offensive line, which I think we really need, especially at the tackle position, because Jaron Jones has really struggled from an experience and perspective because he seems not to be able to handle certain schemes and certain edge rushers, some speed rushers. So I fully expect Dennis to come in and battle for that spot. I really like his game. I watched some highlights. He's really physical, really strong. He can play any of the offensive line positions, which is really good for our team because we could use some continuity there, some veteran presence there along the offensive line. So I'm really excited to see him come in and play. Um, may have an interview with him here soon. I don't know. We're still working out the details. I would love to have him on the show, though. would love to have a conversation about his journey from the CFL to the XFL. But 
Really intriguing signing here. Really like his game. Could see him slotting in right away at left tackle or any other spot on the offensive line. Really excited to see him play. The other big news is Tanner Gentry was activated from IR. He, it's a big move for a wide receiver position that could use an influx of talent. This whole offense could use an influx of talents. He's really good. I really like him. He's one of my top receivers for this team. He really understands leverage, really good deep threats, an underrated route runner. He's not perfect in that aspect of his game, but he is pretty good. But as I said before, as I said on Twitter, he's not going to fix everything in this offense. Fully expect him to have an impact, but he's not going to fix everything. And I don't even expect him to have a big role this week against the Wildcats. So Hopefully we see him come and come and gain a bigger and bigger role. I could see him slotting in at that wide receiver two position with D'Angelo Yancey still out. Mikhail McKay and Tanner Gentry on the outsides. Colby Pearson and Austin Duke mixed in the middle. I don't know how healthy Joe Horn is, so I'd wait and see how that develops as well. But those are kind of the two big pieces of news coming out of the Guardians camp this week. And now we're going to go ahead and get into the intro. This has been a great episode, guys. It's just me, myself, and I. So I want to thank you guys for listening to my voice for all this time. It was a lot of fun, and like I said, I could have a surprise interview. If I get it, I will release it as soon as it's out because I'm just really excited to have this conversation with him if it does happen. So keep an eye on your podcast feed for that. Keep an eye on Twitter. I'll probably post it on there as well. So I just want to thank everybody as well for all the interaction on Twitter. I've had a lot of great conversations surrounding the, the Guardians quarterback situation and all a bunch of other things, Guardians. We're almost at 250 followers on there, so make sure you follow me, recommend me to your friends. I'd really appreciate it. Word of mouth is one really big way I'm getting this out, out and around. Shot me on different social medias. I know I'm kind of begging for stuff here, but I really, really appreciate it. Um, if you don't already know, you can follow me at TGP underscore podcast. It's the abbreviation of the guard post. Really, you can follow me on Twitter at TGP underscore podcast. You can email me if you have any questions you want to send me, if you have any other inquiries at the guard post podcast all lowercase at gmail.com make sure you guys subscribe rate and leave a review of the podcast i really appreciate it. it really helps my numbers on apple Podcasts and other formats as well you can find it on stitcher spotify and all of those uh, thank you for tuning in guys i really appreciate it i love growing this community i love talking to you guys about this team even though we're not very good right now hopefully that changes and develops and hopefully we get a win here. I mean, I'd really love that. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the game this weekend. Stay on guard.